it wasn't until I got actually diagnosed and I heard that, that I kind of had a sense of relief. I kind of, you know, of course was upset, but at the same time, it was like, we just handle it now. And it's like all my life I've been preparing for that moment. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in State College, Pennsylvania, Lafayette, Louisiana, and Yerevan, Armenia. We appreciate you all helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 75 of season 5, number 374 overall. She was diagnosed with thyroid cancer at 23, and at 33, a second bombshell, this time breast cancer. It's easy to think that life had dealt Deandra Fields a raw hand, but she doesn't have time for pity because Deandra is in a fight. But it is a fight that she says she is winning, and she says that eating a plant-based diet is a big part of the reason why. It's kind of like her not-so-secret weapon. And Deandra is here to share her incredible story with us publicly for the very first time. Now, some things that you need to know about Deandra before we get going. Number one, she is incredibly bright, so smart. She studied molecular biology in school and has a master's degree in it, as a matter of fact. Number two, Deandra loves science. She loves it, and she has made it her life as one half of that science couple along with her husband. And she is using that love of research to guide her along her journey here. And she's even teaching her own team of doctors as well, sharing her findings so that they can put them into practice as they go. And honestly, to look at her, you would not have the slightest clue that she's in the fight that she's in. She is a warrior. She is a champion. She is a thriver. She is simply amazing. Deandra Fields, and her real-time breast cancer journey as we begin our Let's Beat Breast Cancer series this year here on The Exam Room. Deandra, thank you so very much for being here. Thank you for having me, Chuck. We love, I've been talking about this on the show a lot recently, we love credibility, and when you first popped up on my radar, it was on Twitter, and your handle there is something that you and your husband are doing together, That Science Couple. And that science couple, I said, that is my people right there. So, uh, I mean, you are steeped in science. You're steeped in the research. So that's kind of your life. And that's why I am glad that you are here today. Um, We will get to the science momentarily, but I want to hear your story right now, because as I understand it, you are still in the middle of treatment for breast cancer. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So... I am, uh, first of all, I'm a thyroid cancer survivor. And so it's been a decade since I originally had thyroid cancer at 23. And so as I was going through that, I took the standard of care. They said they could give me a cure. So it was surgery, radioactive iodine, and then I went on my way. And so as I was getting a little older, I was realizing that I wanted to be able to do things that would prevent a future cancer from occurring. And so that's when I found PCRM. So we did a transition. We started smoothies. um, And then we went plant-based officially completely um, about three years ago. But it was, I would say, about a two-year transition period where we started removing meat and dairy and then became social cheese eaters for about six months near the end. And then I finally went all fully plant-based. So I'd been plant-based for a couple years before my breast cancer diagnosis, But in January of this year, I had had um, a lump in my breast and I did some research about it, finding out like I had an injury during a workout. So I thought it was related to that. And I was just going to get everything checked out. But it turns out that it actually was breast cancer Um, and it does run in my family. So that wasn't a super big surprise. 
but I basically went through the standard um, mammogram, ultrasound, MRIs, biopsies, um, and found out that I was a hormone positive cancer and that I had the HER2 negative, but I had a high K67, which is that division rate. And that's where I started. So when you say, for those who aren't familiar, when you say you had a hormone positive cancer, what exactly does that mean? Yes. So when they do the initial biopsy, they'll look for the different kind of receptors that you have on the cancer cells. And so they look at estrogen um, and progesterone. And so those are the two different types of hormones that will go up and down throughout your normal cycle. And so mine were um, 80 for estrogen, 80% of the sample had receptors, and then about 70% had the progesterone receptors. So being a young woman, it is very common to have a hormone-dependent cancer since our hormones are going up and down all the time. And then I had long-term uh, birth control hormonal use, so that could have also contributed to it. Um, but if you had tested negative, then you could have uh, either triple negative breast cancer, which would mean that you weren't responsive to hormones. Um, and so they wouldn't prescribe anything like your ovaries wouldn't need to be taken out and you wouldn't have any hormone therapies. Um, and then the HER2 is another type of receptor. So you could be positive or negative for that. And that's just another avenue that the cancer can use to grow. So you said cancer runs in your family. You, though, are a very young woman. So I'm curious, when others in your family were diagnosed with it, were they also on the younger side of things? Yeah. So my aunt, she actually passed away in her 40s from breast cancer. And it was the second time that she had gone through treatments that she'd passed away about six months into her treatments. So she had a very early onset breast cancer. Um, and the other ones in my family are later onset breast cancer. So that you can say might be more environmental related and less genetically driven. And so I can see that um, that having my aunt, it was on my mother's side, that I probably inherited uh, similar genetics to what she had. And since I was, I had thyroid cancer when I was 23, that's very young as well. So coming together, one of the important things that I had done at the beginning was to get as much genetic testing as I could, because I wanted to find out, was there something that drove both of those cancers? And we actually did find out that I didn't have BRCA, so I didn't have the very common gene, but there's a more rare mutation called uh, FANCM, and it's related to Fanconi's anemia, but it works in a similar pathway to the BRCA gene. And so that is what predisposed me to both thyroid cancer and breast cancer, actually. So knowing that you're aunt died so early in life, even though you said also that being diagnosed with breast cancer wasn't necessarily a big surprise for you, I would imagine that still came with a lot of heavy emotion. What do you remember about how you felt that day? Yeah, so I was actually um, a Relay for Life captain for about 10 years. So it was, I started because my aunt had passed away. So I wanted to do it for her. And then I became a thyroid cancer survivor. So I did it um, with my myself being like the primary person I was, you know, fighting for. And I took a couple years off, but I did it for a decade in total. And what I noticed was that I would see cancer survivors come back year after year and you'd catch up with them and say like, so how are you doing? And they would say how, oh, you know, I had this cancer a couple of years ago and now I have a different one. And so I was racking my brain about like, why aren't we doing things to prevent that future cancer? And we should be like, it's really heartbreaking to hear that the people are having to go through this multiple times in their life. So I kind of had an inclination of that, you know, this could happen to me too. I could be someone who had one and then had a different one. And so my biggest fear was to have a recurrence. And so I was so concerned over that, like that got me to change my diet, got me to go plant-based, got me to, you know, have my daily smoothie. But it wasn't until I got actually diagnosed and I heard that, that I kind of had a sense of relief, um, that I'd worried about it for so long, but that it actually happened. And I'm like, that's the worst case scenario is that it happens. And so now I'm here. And so I kind of, you know, of course was upset, of course, you know cried, you know, wanted to throw things, all that kind of stuff. And my husband was upset too. But at the same time, it was like, 
we'll just we just handle it now and and it's like all my life i've been preparing for that moment if that makes sense it does i was actually just going to ask you is like because there was such a worry that this could happen that this was the worst case scenario had you been thinking what if this happens and had you been crafting kind of a battle plan to combat this should that day ever arise? It sounds to me like you already had some wheels in motion, or at least you you had the car revved up in the garage ready to go to get those wheels in motion the day that that came. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely was already on top of things. So my career, I actually had a, a, a master's in cell molecular biology and I worked in late stage cancer diagnostics. So I was developing assays to detect what kind of mutations you have when you're looking at a tumor versus normal tissue. Um, and so I'd been constantly learning about it. And that's what brought me to plant-based because I was like, there's gotta be something we do for prevention. And so you can't reduce a hundred percent of your risk, but if you can reduce, you know, exercises said to prolong people's lives and to help cancer survivors of any stage. So like that was a portion of it too. And I was basically kind of accumulating these things of like, well, what kind of strategies could I use knowing that the likelihood of me in interacting with this again was very high. Um, and actually a couple months before I had gotten diagnosed, I had uh, started seeking out just a therapist, a psychologist, because I wanted to work through my baggage from my previous diagnosis and to be able to move forward. So I was already thinking about like 2022 is the year. Like this is the one that I say cancer is in the past. I'm a thriver. I'm not just a survivor. I'm a thriver. Well, I think that even though you're kind of in the thick of it, um, well, I, you're, you're pretty far along and, and we'll mm -hmm. get into that. But I, I think that you are still a thriver. I mean, to mm -hmm. look at you, I think the majority of us would have no idea that you would even be in treatment still right now. I think you look fantastic. From where I sit, you look absolutely healthy. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold off on playing that Thriver card whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd be throwing that down on the table every morning as soon as I woke up. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I was I was also just going to go back to saying like you're also incredibly intelligent and uh, thus that science couple um, is your brand. Um, but you said that uh, you work with assays. Ordinarily, I wouldn't rewind so far back um, in an interview, but I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm like, what, what, what in the world is that? And I'm probably not the only person right now trying to figure it out. So can you, can you help us out? Tell us what, the, what that sure. is. Sure. So an assay is just a fancy term that we use in the lab to call a test. So when you get your saliva sample taken so that you can get your genetic testing done, that would be an assay. So basically they take the cells, they'll break them open, they'll get to the DNA and they'll sequence that. And so I actually worked with, um, if you've heard of the drug Keytruda, um, the company that I worked with was uh, partnering in making um, that go for off-label usage. So it started originally with lung cancer, and then I worked on the assays, that development that expanded it out to um, different cancer types. Mm. Someday I hope to grow up and be as smart as you are. That's that's all I have to say about that. Do you think that because you are so steeped in science and research, um, and this is something that one you had already gone through with the thyroid cancer, but do you feel like that better prepared you for the journey that you're on now? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think it's important to feel the emotions. So when I get that diagnosis or I got those results, like I would... I would sit there. I would say this sucks. Like, like, let's be honest to have cancer at 23 cancer at 33, you start thinking like, is this going to be an every decade thing? And so basically what I said is like, sit there, feel the emotion and then move past it. Right. Like it's okay to have an hour that you're worried about something, but you need to move forward. Right. You need your life to not be about that. And so I would then put on my, you know, investigator hat and say, if this was my mom, if this was my sister, if this was my friend, what would I tell them? And then I would go and do the research. So I'd make sure that like I did address the emotional component, but then I move forward and say, 
You know, what would I tell a loved one to do in this scenario? And to not be afraid to ask for extra time to decide, because a lot of times in cancer treatments, they just want to push you through as fast as possible. And for me, this time I said, no, I want to take my time. And I did alternative treatments and an integrative approach for about six months before I even had my surgery. What was the doctor's response when you pumped the brakes on the standard course of treatment and you were like, eh, no, we're going to try this other stuff first. Were they on board with that? Were they surprised? How did that conversation go? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So the the first oncologist that I met with, um, he was the one that, you know, gave me the official diagnosis. So luckily I had an, a wonderful OBGYN and she was the one that sent me to the mammogram and she called me and gave me the results. So she told me like, look, I'm really sorry, but you know, you have breast cancer, but basically she was saying that she's seen a lot of women who had children after breast cancer and gave me a lot of hope. So I had that initial, like someone that I knew, someone that I trusted, but then it went to, they immediately wanted to schedule me with the surgeon. And I said, absolutely not. I am meeting with an oncologist first because it does not make sense for me to have a mass, go immediately to the surgeon, not talk about options. And so I insisted on that. And then the oncologist that I got, he starts going through, you know, my diagnosis and everything. And I'm looking at it with him saying, okay, you have these four different treatments. I want number four first instead of doing number one that you're recommending. And he just got to the point where he just said, no, he said, I'm not doing any neoadjuvant treatment. And that just means any treatment before surgery. So he outright refused because I was asking questions and because I wanted a different path. So I had to then go and request a second oncologist who we started out saying, look, we're not pursuing chemotherapy right now because I want to have a family and it is not okay to have, you know, a treatment that could potentially reduce my chances of having a family down to 15%. That was not acceptable. And you can get ovarian suppression, which I have done, and that can boost it up to 30% chance, but that's still not enough for someone who hasn't had any children yet. Mm. I, I don't think that most women would uh, have chosen to go your route. Even even younger women, I think, ordinarily would have deferred to just what the doctor was recommending initially and probably would have been whisked um, directly into surgery. I think that it takes personally a great deal of strength to be able to kind of carve your own path and stand firm and say, well, this is the way that I would like to proceed. Um, have you always had that kind of a strong backbone? I, I mean, that's, that's a heck of a personality trait that Deandra, I, I don't think necessarily maybe even you realize like how few people actually have that. Yeah. So that I have not had that forever. I used to always be, you know, a people pleaser. I'm the middle child in my family. So I would just like go along and do whatever everyone else said and behave. But the thing is, I did that with my thyroid cancer. And then it was actually listening to some of the content from PCRM um, and some of the plant-based doctors and finding out that like this thyroid imbalance, like some people had reversed their thyroid cancer with plant-based nutrition. And so I got very frustrated that I didn't have the chance to do that. And so this is like something that I've been working over, like with my therapist too, is that like, I felt like that surgery was unnecessary, that I was robbed of an organ that I will never be able to get back and I'll be on medication for the rest of my life. And that was a lot for me to handle but then I actually was able to get my old, um, the, the surgery like path report from that, that surgery a decade ago and looked through it and talked with my new surgeon, with my breast surgeon about it. Like my concerns are I had way too many lymph nodes taken out and I don't want this to be done unnecessarily. And I want to make sure that this is the right choice for me. And she was very personable about it and didn't rush me. I met with her actually three times before we even scheduled the surgery. So I kind of worked through that, but I just knew that, that I had to stand up for myself, that 
that I won't regret taking time to explore the options and make sure the decision is right for me. But I would regret just rushing through and saying like, you know, I've heard these spontaneous remissions, like the radical remission survivors. Um, there's a book. Um, it was, let me see, who is it? Uh, Kelly A. Turner. Yeah. So that's, uh, I would highly recommend it if anyone needs, you know, inspiration and motivation, but yeah, I, I didn't have that need to stand up for myself until I was challenged. And, you know, the first oncologist, he also said, he's like, we're going to do genetic testing. And he said, if you have BRCA, you can get both of them done at the same time, as in like a double mastectomy. And I'm 33. And I was just like, no, absolutely not. Like, that's not for me. It's for some people. That's not for me. Mm. So when you when you opted to go your own route, I think that this actually is maybe the most important thing that we'll talk about here today is, you know, we always talk on the show about lowering risk, right? There is very little in life that is 100% guaranteed. Lock that in. There's no doubt about it. We talk about lowering risk, which means that even still, if you do all the right things that the research points you in, uh, the direction that the research points you in, there's still no guarantee that you you won't have an outcome that is undesired. You still went that route. Were you prepared though for changing your approach should should um, things not have turned out the way that you would hope they would? Absolutely. So my original goal was to, you know, avoid chemotherapy because I'd seen it didn't really work for my aunt and then to avoid surgery because, you know, if I could just get down to a lumpectomy, that was my goal. I originally went in, it was a larger mass. They said we couldn't do um, a lumpectomy because it would be so asymmetrical. It would just, it wouldn't look right. It would never be the same. And so therefore mastectomy was the only option so I was working with uh, a naturopath who referred me to a naturopathic oncologist. And so I got um, supplements that would help my specific case that would um, help to boost my immune system. So that was a big thing that we were focusing on. How do I get my immune system to wake back up? Um, and I also did saunas as well. So I wasn't sweating naturally for years and I would have hives when I worked out. And so going to sauna was able to open up my pores to stimulate a detoxification system that was not functioning properly. So I did all these things and, you know, regular exercise, working out, walking, um, you know, the mindset, the mental things, uh, growing my own microgreens. So I did all these things, but we still brought in, you know, the traditional science. So I was getting, um, I had biopsy results between um, my hormone medications. And so the first time that I had that follow-up biopsy, it showed that the hormone treatment wasn't working. And she, my oncologist asked me, do you want to continue? And I said, yes, that it was only six weeks and not everyone sees the results immediately. But we basically went on that until I could transition to something stronger. So I started with tamoxifen and I did the ovarian suppression. You have to be on the ovarian suppression for a few months because it turns off your ovaries. And then I was able to get an aromatase inhibitor, which means that my body won't be able to produce any estrogen. And so with that, that actually is a lot stronger on breast cancer than the tamoxifen because the tamoxifen um, is just weakly binding estrogen. And so it binds to your, your breast cancer cells and to regular um, breast tissue and it prevents the growth. So it can slow the growth and they usually give it after surgery as more of a long-term kind of prevention. So walk us through your course of treatment, uh, where you were and where you are today. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, so I started with uh, tamoxifen. I did that for I think it was about um, two to three months. And then I switched over to that aromatase inhibitor. Um, and so with the aromatase inhibitor, I did that with ovarian suppression. So you're turning off the ovaries and then you're preventing any other cells in your body from also uh, producing estrogen. And so I actually went on a trip. We went with my, my mom, my dad, and my husband, and we went to Italy this summer 
And it was very much like a once in a lifetime family trip. My mom had never left the country and we said we were going to do this together. And it was mid my diagnosis. And a lot of people said, don't go. And I was just like, look, it'll still be there when I get back. And I was always thinking like, wouldn't it be great if I came back and my cancer was gone? Right? Like, wouldn't that be great? But I came back and I did a PET scan. So it was the second PET scan I had and it was still there. And so, you know, it was a little discouraging at the time, but I was very early in in my treatments and I'd only been on the aromatase inhibitor for like a month. And then I had started um, an immunotherapy after that. So since they saw, look, there's a progression, it actually opened the door for other treatments and so I was able to get uh, a CDK4-6 inhibitor. Basically, it works inside the cell to um, stop it from growing. And so cancer cells use this pathway more than regular cells. So you do get some off-target effects. You know, I have like a little bit of hair thinning from it. And um, sometimes you can have like uh, a slight anemia. So I have had some side effects, but that gave me the the kind of wake up call that was like, when we were on this trip, I thought to myself, and I even talked to, you know, my mom about this, like, I have to choose something. If this isn't gone, what am I going to choose? And I was looking at chemotherapy that my aunt did not survive. She went through a really hard course with it and she didn't end up making it. Or I could do surgery and I had surgery with my thyroid and it worked. It worked. I got a decade and I had a scan this year and it was still clean. So I made the decision then that if things didn't change, if it didn't get better, I was going to do surgery. So I came back, met with my surgeon and asked for her honest opinion. So we looked at the PET scan. There was the same lymph nodes that were there before. And there was the mass that was there. And then so we decided to sign up for surgery. And I went ahead and did that. And then, um, so we had the PATH report that came back from that and it showed probable or definite response to the pre-surgery treatment. So we got that vindication that yes, it needed to happen. The surgery needed to happen, but the treatment that I was on was working and it was great to see that we should continue. We should keep mm. doing what we're doing because we know it works. And how do you, how do you think like eating that healthier diet, taking in all of those other lifestyle factors that you were talking about, the exercise, just walking, the mental mindset, all of the work that you were doing there. Um, I, I mean, I think maybe you basically just answered this by saying like you, you, you got that vindication already, but I, I mean, like how differently do you think things could have played out had you not stumbled upon that research. And then I want to ask you about when you did stumble upon it too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so absolutely. I think that like, we're looking at like measurements, right? So between my initial diagnosis and that um, scan that kind of triggered us to go forward with the surgery, it was uh, a two centimeter change, which ended up being around like a 30% increase. So it was there, but then I think about it of like how many months that was. I'm like, that was like four months. And we know like the doubling rate with cancer is, is pretty high, right? So some people can go one week to the next and it explodes and they just have so much more. It's in all these lymph nodes. But we looked back and the original PET scan that I had had three lymph nodes. The one that I had following up a couple months later was still three lymph nodes and the surgery showed five. So basically they were probably there, but it just wasn't a detectable level. And so, yeah, I think it's really important to look at how fast is it growing? And I know that the things that I was doing, while it may not have, may not have stopped or reversed my cancer, what it did is it slowed it down. It said, like I had a high division rate. So they look at anything above like 20% of the cells that are dividing at a time. That's like your KI 67. They say that's high. And so mine was 40. So it was almost half of the cells in that biopsy sample were dividing actively. And so when we did all this, we saw that what was slowing down was that division rate. And so I know that paired with the treatments that I had, that 
my diet, my nutrition, my mental regimen, all those things were helping to, you know, kind of maintain the balance, right? So like, okay, it can only grow a little bit. And my margins were clear, but they were narrow. So I decided to go on to do radiation because I did need something more. So mm-hmm. it's all about determining what is right for you. And I did the research on on my genetic mutation and was like, what is the best for me, right? We've been doing these Let's Beat Breast Cancer shows talking to survivors or thrivers uh, for mm-hmm. a number of years now. And one of the common themes that comes out uh, comes up throughout the course of those conversations is how much better they tolerate the radiation therapy, the chemotherapy, um, than a lot of others. And they believe strongly that a lot of that has to do with the diet that they are eating. How did you tolerate the radiation? Yeah, so I'm halfway through. I I just hit today was 16 out of 30. And I've been doing great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm over that hump. And, you know, all my the technicians that I work with, they're like, you know, your skin looks great. Like, yeah, it still gets red. It's going to have a response. But, you know, I use lotions like everyone does. And I get the all natural kind. And I make sure to hydrate from the outside and the inside. So I'm doing smoothies like every day we try to get a smoothie in and then I'm doing juicing. Um, and it's all vegetable juices. So it's not even a high volume. Like I follow uh, more of what Dr. Uh, Joel Furman suggests, which is about 16 ounces a day of a mainly vegetable juice. And you're just having it like a little bit with your meals. So it's just giving you that extra nutrition, that extra boost, but it's not like you're living on juices. So like, I've had energy. I've been able to go out to things. And I met um, last week, another breast cancer survivor. And she said that, you know, when she was going through radiation, she was just out and she couldn't do anything. And so I can tell that my nutrition and I'm also, I just started IV vitamin C. I haven't even gotten up to like a therapeutic dose, but that is also helping with fatigue. So that it will also help to make the radiation more effective and it sensitizes the cancer cells to radiation. So it's, it's a benefit on both sides. Like if it just gives you some relief and fatigue, that's great. But if it also helps your treatment work more effectively, then why wouldn't you do that too? You know, what just struck me about you is that you're not saying that the situation is great or it's fun or everybody should go through it. Mm-hmm. But what I do see in you is kind of a pure joy that comes from talking about the science behind it. And and you probably get that same joy mm-hmm. from talking about literally any kind of science that just you strike me as being that kind of person. But if there is a little bit of a silver lining to anything about your journey right now, I would think that that might be it. Am I on the right track there? Yeah. So I was diagnosed in January and it fell within a week of my business launch. So I'm a nutrition um, sciences major and I also have a minor in epidemiology. So it's like population health and looking at like your risk for different diseases and why it happens and looking at lifestyle. And so I had the option to like, look, this stuff is going down with my health. I could have just not launched my business of nutrition coaching, but I decided that no, me helping people and me doing the research for them is very rewarding. And this is what I need to do. I need, I needed to do that. And People told me you should um, take a pause from your program, you know, just focus on your health. And I also didn't want to do that because it gave me goals. It gave me something to look forward to it. It had a, I had a sense of like a normal life, even though I was going to a million appointments, but I still had something there that was like, this is moving me forward. And now I'm on track to graduate in four years. So I can say that that it was right for me. Some people need to step away and be fully on their health. But for me, being able to do research is fun and being able to help other people is fun. And it just, it reminds me like, that's my purpose. That's why I'm here. I'm here and going through this journey so that I can be compassionate and that I can help other cancer survivors 
in a way that my thyroid cancer didn't really teach me that. So having that nutritional epidemiological background that you do, when you look at your own case, mm -hmm. how much would you say your environment, your lifestyle, your diet mm -hmm. may have contributed to your diagnosis? Yeah. So to my original diagnosis, um, the mutation that I have, it it's only one copy. So you can either have two copies of a mutation or you can have one. So I only have one and uh, that's called like heterozygous. Um, so, you know, the terminology, but basically that means that I have one copy that has the inability to function properly when it's um, faced with DNA damage. So what I see is that mutation is what it makes me more susceptible to cancer. But on the other side, I'm doing all these lifestyle things and I have one properly functioning copy. So I have one copy that can do its thing. And um, there's a thing with epigenetics that basically your DNA can, it can unwind and it can wind up. And so when it's wound up in a ball, basically it can't be read. So it can't be used. And so actually when I, um, with my original diagnosis, I think I was, I was playing into that. I was mentally saying that like, look, I'm vulnerable. I've had cancer before. I was allowing that mutation to take over. But now with my mental, my, my mental shift and with my dietary changes, I'm saying, let's wrap up that bad mutation and let's unwind the good one. And so what I'm doing is, is helping, you know, my healthy cells to survive. And actually when I go to radiation, I imagine that I imagine the, you know, the, the cancer cells to be the ones being exposed, like, look, you're weak and you have this mutation and it's going to hit it and it's going to destroy it. And then I look at the healthy cells and I say, but you're tough. And so you're going to use that good copy that you have there. And you're going to use all the nutrition that I add in. And every time I, you know, work out, you know, you do a rep, I imagine like the cancer cells bursting. So it's just like taking that imagination and saying like, well, why couldn't this be happening? We know that cancer thrives in an oxygen deprived environment. So if you're working out, you're getting more oxygen in. So there is science behind that. And it's just, you know, taking in that mental picture and using that to your advantage as well. Have you ever thought about being a science teacher in school? Because you just seem to be the perfect kind of person for it. You're enthusiastic and you have a way of breaking it down. I love the way that you just analyze that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, not a teacher in school, but with my nutrition coaching, I do um, what I call our learning lessons. And so basically every um, session I have, we'll take the science and I'll break it down in that form or function to be like, here, this is, this is for your case. So whatever disease you're dealing with, so I do either chronic disease management or just prevention. So something runs in your family, what can you control? You can't control your genes, but you can control your diet, your mental outlook, exercise, and your social connection. We have about five minutes left here. Um, I want to focus specifically here on diet. I mean, that's what we do here at the exam room. Um, how has your diet evolved pre and post cancer diagnosis? Mm -hmm. So growing up, what did it look like and what does it look like today? Yeah, absolutely. So growing up standard American diet, um, you know, my parents, they were really great. So we had a little garden out back and we could eat, you know, sugar snap peas right off the vine and things like that. So I did have like a heavy presence of vegetables there. But as I grew up and, you know, you move out of the house, you're um, going to college, you're feeding yourself. So my budget wasn't very good. And I basically was like ramen noodles and hot dogs. And so when I got thyroid cancer, I was like, it was probably not a good thing that I was eating that. And fruit was, you know, a specialty. Like I would go home and my dad would send us back with all this food and it was always better quality than whatever I was buying. So with having cancer, like thyroid cancer, the only thing they tell you is go on a low iodine diet. So that's low in salt, which is good, but it's only one thing. Like they didn't tell me anything else. They're just like, oh, just eat what makes you feel good, right? Like 
okay, that's fine, but that's not really enough. So I think that with cancer survivors, we're missing an opportunity that they're on the brink already and they want to contribute to their own health. And so that's why I say is every day um, is an opportunity to contribute to your own health through nutrition. So we've, yeah, did that kind of slow integration, the slow transfer over. So you don't have to do it all at once, but just, you know, starting like one meal a day where you're not having any meat or dairy and, um, you know, gradually increasing that over time. So like our standard is, is a smoothie, 32 ounces of a smoothie. And that's a green base, basically as much spinach as you can get in there. Um, and then we'll put like banana, flaxseed, hemp seed, um, mangoes just to sweeten it up a little bit and then some water and blend it up. Um, and then we'll do juicing. So we grow microgreens, we do broccoli sprouts, kale and wheatgrass. And then, so I'll, I'll do some microgreens in, in a green juice. Um, and that's usually with like beets and celery and just a little bit of carrot or a little bit of apple. Um, but not too much. And then our meals, uh, after my diagnosis, I started eating raw meals at least once a day. So like lunch would be just like chopped vegetables or a salad. You could have some oil-free hummus. Um, and then dinner would be something cooked. So, you know, brown rice, beans, things like that. Um, but just giving your body a break and giving it those enzymes, because as you cook your food, we realized most of our meals were cooked. And so when I wasn't feeling good, I didn't have energy. Changing to that more raw, at least one meal a day, was picking me up. Like, so I'd eat and I would get more energy than before I would eat and I would have less energy. That was really crazy. That's pretty interesting. That's pretty interesting. And I guess the final question I have for you is how differently do you think specific to the breast cancer diagnosis, how differently do you think your journey would be had you still been eating ramen noodles and hot dogs every day? Uh, I don't think I would have had the mental clarity, honestly, to make the decisions that I've made because, you know, I've had brain fog in the past. And, and when I, when I eat more processed food, like you can be a junk food vegan. So, so it's not just that you're eating the meat, it's the eating the processed foods. And so now I'm very in tune with myself and I can tell, you know, like we may have like a beyond burger every now and then, but then I feel worse like the next day so i'm i'm getting more in tune with myself and saying like like what does my body want and like i at the beginning of like before i was even diagnosed i started craving these raw foods i was like i would go to the grocery store with my husband and say i want that and he was like we don't have the budget and i'm like but can i have some baby carrots and i just i wanted to snack on it so i think you know, being aware and like transitioning away from those processed foods, you can be in tune with yourself. So if you haven't done the the transition yet, like give it a try and see, like, do you crave certain, certain foods? And you're probably going to crave vegetables or fruits. Like I um, kind of like uh, uh, Esselstyn's wife, like I I craved that lemon water after a while. And I was like, well, I probably low in vitamin C, hence me doing IV vitamin C infusions. Mm. Science is fun, isn't it? Yeah. Well, of course it is. Like, who am I, who am I asking right now? Right. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love the blanket that you have uh, up in the background as well. A blanket of the periodic table of elements. That's, that is, that's outrageous. I Thank love that you. so much. That, that is a good find right there. Yeah. Uh, that's my but, best friend in college got me that. So props to her. Oh man. Yeah. That is a good friend right there. That's a friend for life. My goodness. What a blanket. Um, and the other thing I love, we'll close with this. The other thing that I love is that you are taking all of what you have learned and you are putting that into practice, um, as a evidence-based nutrition coach. Um, and people can find out about you on your website, that sciencecouple.com. Um, you help people actually, speak to their physicians, uh, their own doctors about taking a more holistic, maybe nutritional approach mm -hmm. to things. How are you able to do that? Knowing the fact that the majority of doctors out there really have gotten little to no training, formal training in nutrition. So you're really filling a, a, a critical role here. So how do you help um, your clients navigate those waters? Yeah. So my program is all about um, advocacy. 
So, so being your own advocate. And so while I don't directly work with the person's doctors, it's what is your, what is your problem? What is the disease that you're working on or the condition that you have currently? And then working on like, what are the questions you can ask them? So like I had one client who was um, going through food allergies. And so she had done like a couple like off label testing, you know, at home kits. But then when it came down to it, it was like, well, she couldn't get into her doctor soon enough to start working on things. And it, they had a six month backlog. So like part of it is like, well, what do you do while you're waiting? Well, that's something that we can start working on. And then when she finally got there, I was like, these are the questions that you need to ask them. So you need to ask like, what kind of, you know, are you going to do an allergy test on me? Um, are we looking at the different immune responses? Um, should I have, there's like the breathalyzer test to see like how much like alcohol, like if you have a SIBO um, kind of infestation. Um, so that's a bacterial overgrowth in your small intestine and it can produce this alcohol that's measured. So basically talking through what's your situation what questions should you ask? Because usually you go to a doctor's appointment and they ask you, do you have any other questions? And a lot of time it's too much information to process. So you may not have anything. So what I do is preparing to find out like what kind of blood work you could get done. So like I was, I was talking to Chuck a little bit before this um, about like vitamin D. So if you're struggling with depression um, and you live in a higher altitude, maybe you get your vitamin D levels checked. So, you know, things like that, that, that you can go through like small steps and then also having that feedback. So, so they're letting their doctors know I'm working with the nutritionist. So if you have, if you're on medications, you'll need to get blood work retested. So after six weeks of a change, get that blood work retested. And most primary cares uh, doctors will be very willing to repeat labs for you. You just need to give them the reason why I changed my diet. I want to see if this is working. Deandra, your nerd foo is very strong. Your advocacy drive is very strong. Your personality is perfect for what it is that you do. And I see nothing but a bright, healthy future on the horizon for you. So I can't thank you enough for being here today. It is a true joy to have had this time with you. Thank you, Chuck. It was great talking with you, and uh, I appreciate letting me uh, share my story. I'm telling you, you have to go watch our interview on YouTube. She does not look like anyone who is battling breast cancer. Deandra looks happy, she looks healthy, and she looks like she is ready to take on the world. And she kind of is right now, isn't she? Yeah, I think so. And you know, there was that moment of levity. We talked about a lot of heavy things, but it was kind of fun to hear her talk about eating ramen noodles and hot dogs in what we could call a previous life. And certainly, I know she is really glad that those two things came off of her plate, given all of the diet research that she stumbled upon throughout the years. And there's a pretty good chance if you're hearing this show, you're not eating ramen noodles and hot dogs any longer either. But I would like to wish Deandra the best of luck moving forward for continued health. I cannot wait, Deandra, for you to hear the two sweetest words in all of cancer treatment. In remission. So please keep us updated. There are so many people pulling for you now. So many of them are the exam roomies who you bravely shared your story with here on the show today. And this is October, and we are kicking off our Let's Beat Breast Cancer series today. And we still have lots to come, including from our friend Dr. Christy Funk, who will be kicking off our exam room live episodes this month on Wednesday, October 5th, one day after the show you're hearing right now was released initially, as a matter of fact. So join us Wednesday, October 5th, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook to ask Dr. Funk your questions. She is a renowned breast cancer surgeon who specializes 
in the link between diet and lifestyle and preventing breast cancer. So Dr. Funk will be here to raise our health IQs between her appearances on Good Morning America and The Rachel Ray Show. She's carving out a little bit of time for us. So you can also send me your questions ahead of time on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Chuck Carroll, WLC. Time now for another five-star success. Today's five-star success comes to us from Fan If She Spoke Correctly. I'm not quite sure what that name means, but that's the one that she left on Apple Podcast. And Fan writes, I've lost 70 pounds, still have 20 to 30 to go, but I pretend that I'm a co-weight loss champion. The thing that I like about the exam room is that the guests don't judge other diets and lifestyles. They just present the facts and they encourage listeners to make healthy choices. Please keep up this amazing work. Well, fan, I want you to keep up the amazing work too. I'll make you a deal. We'll keep cranking out these shows and trying to raise health IQs and sprinkle on a little bit of inspiration if you keep working hard to achieve your weight loss goals. 20 to 30 pounds to go, I think you're gonna get there. And I would love it if you would share with us when you do. Thanks for writing, fan. And you can leave your own five-star success by subscribing on Apple Podcast or wherever it is that you get your shows. Just leave a five-star rating for the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee. And in that review, tell us a little bit about your own health transformation, how a plant-based diet has improved your own health, and we might feature it here on the show. Today's episode of the Exam Room Podcast has been powered by the Barnard Medical Center. The primary care clinic in Washington, D.C. practices lifestyle medicine and promotes plant-based nutrition with in-person appointments and offers telemedicine in 18 states. Visit barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500 to learn more. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you once again to Deandra Fields for kicking off our Let's Beat Breast Cancer series this year and helping to raise our health IQs and our spirits. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>